0: Julia Child, welcome to the French Chef and the first show on our series on French cooking. We're going to make beef bourguignon, beef stew and red wine, and it's a wonderful show to begin our series on because it shows you so many useful things about French cooking. How to brown meat, how to braise onions, how to sauté mushrooms, how to make a wonderful sauce. And you make a buff bourguignon just the way you make any other kind of a stew, like chicken, vin. you can make lamb this way or veal this way. Welcome to another episode of 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. This episode, titled Julia Child's Recipe for Shark Repellent, is from our Legends series. And to anyone who has done more than boil water or break an egg in the kitchen, Julia Child... The forerunner of today's TV cooking shows and author of a number of recipe books is a legend. Thanks to recently declassified CIA documents, we know now that the lovable apron-clad TV chef who taught your grandmother how to prepare French omelets was also an OSS agent in World War II, organizing a network of highly classified clandestine stations in Asia. While assigned to the OSS, the forerunner of today's CIA, she was assigned the task of researching an effective shark repellent to help save the lives of downed airmen and sailors who were often victims of shark attacks. It wasn't until 2008 when the CIA released their classified files regarding Julia Child's service with the OSS that anyone knew that this TV star chef and cookbook author, in her early career days, had been slicing and dicing the Axis powers behind enemy lines and cooking up shark repellent to save downed airmen and sailors. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and this is our story, which starts in my boyhood hometown of Pasadena, California. Child was born August 15, 1912, as Julia Carolyn McWilliams in Pasadena, California, the daughter of John McWilliams, Jr., a Princeton University graduate and prominent land manager, and his wife, the former Julia Carolyn Weston, a paper company heiress whose father, Byron Curtis Weston, served as lieutenant governor of Massachusetts. The eldest of three children, she had a brother, John Third, and a sister, Dorothy Dean Cousins, She arrived at Smith College in 1930 and was an active student through her college career. She was a member of the student council, played basketball, and was a member of the drama club. Julia experienced her first culinary moments at Smith as chair of the refreshment committee for senior prom and fall dance. After graduating from Smith in 1934, Julia wrote ad copy for W&J Sloan, a furniture company in New York City. Soon after the United States entered World War II, Julia felt the need to serve her country. Too tall to join the military, she was six foot two. Julia volunteered her services to the Office of Strategic Services, the forerunner of today's CIA. She was one of 4,500 women that served in the OSS. As a research assistant in the Secret Intelligence Division, she typed 10,000 names on white note cards to keep track of officers. For years, she worked at the OSS Emergency Rescue Equipment Section in Washington, D.C. as a file clerk and then as an assistant to developers of a shark repellent needed to ensure that sharks would not explode ordnance targeting German U-boats. According to CIA archives at CIA.org, the Navy had a shark problem. Efforts to use undersea mines against German U-boats were hampered by curious sharks that would bump up against explosives, much to the detriment of both the sharks and the U.S. war effort. And as anyone familiar with the awful story of the USS Indianapolis knows, sharks also posed a grave danger to American sailors. At 12.14 a.m. on July 30th, 1945, the USS Indianapolis was torpedoed by a Japanese submarine in the Philippine Sea and sank in 12 minutes. Of 1,196 men on board, approximately 300 went down with the ship. The remainder, about 900 men, were left floating in shark-infested waters with no lifeboats and most with no food or water. The ship was never missed, and by the time the survivors were spotted by accident four days later, only 316 men were still alive. At the time, there was only one known way to deter a shark by exposing it to the rotting remains of another shark. Perhaps recognizing that requiring sailors to perform their duties with decomposing shark carcasses strapped to them would negatively impact morale, the OSS set about creating a chemical shark repellent. I could boil water for tea, but my first big recipe was shark repellent that I mixed in a bathtub for the Navy for the men who might get caught in the water said Child once to her producer Margaret Sullivan, according to a post on examiner.com. Efforts were made to isolate the active principles in dead shark bodies that repelled other sharks. Eventually, it was determined that certain copper compounds, such as copper sulfate and copper acetate, in combination with other ingredients, could mimic a dead shark and drive live sharks away from human beings in the water. For years, a combination of copper acetate and a black dye to obscure the user was supplied to sailors and aviators of the United States Navy as a shark repellent. Known as Shark Chaser, it was first packaged in cake form using a water-soluble wax binder and rigged to life vests. The Navy employed Shark Chaser extensively between 1943 and 1973. It is believed that the composition does repel sharks in some situations, but not at all, with about a 70% effectiveness rating. Other research has shown little to no effectiveness of the shark chaser formula. Today, the search for an ideal shark repellent is ongoing. Some research, based on biochemicals, looks promising. Electrical devices that disturb a shark's sensitive ampullae of Lorenzini are also partially effective. In 1944... Child was posted to Candy Ceylon now Sri Lanka where her responsibilities included registering cataloging and channeling a great volume of highly classified communications for the OSS's clandestine stations in Asia she was later posted to China where she received the emblem of meritorious civilian service as head of the registry of the OSS secretariat for her service child received an award that cited her many virtues included her drive and inherent cheerfulness as with other OSS records, her file was declassified in 2008, and unlike other files, her complete file is available online. While in Ceylon, she met Paul Cushing Child, also an OSS employee, and the two were married September 1, 1946, in Lumberville, Pennsylvania, later moving to Washington, D.C. A New Jersey native who had lived in Paris as an artist and poet, Paul was known for his sophisticated palette, and introduced his wife to fine cuisine. He joined the United States Foreign Service, and in 1948 the couple moved to Paris, where the U.S. State Department assigned Paul there as an exhibits officer with the United States Information Agency. Paul's love for cuisine became Julia's. Child repeatedly recalled her first meal in Rouen as a culinary revelation. Once she described the meal of oysters, sole meuniere and fine wine to the New York Times, as an opening up of the soul and spirit for me. In Paris, she attended the famous Le Cordon Bleu cooking school and later studied privately with Max Bugnard and other master chefs. She joined the women's cooking club Le Circle des Gourmets, through which she met Simone Beck, who was writing a French cookbook for Americans, with her friend Louisette Bertol. Beck proposed that Child work with them to make the book appeal to Americans. In 1951, Child, Beck, and Bertol began to teach cooking to American women in Child's Paris kitchen, calling their informal school the School of the Three Food Lovers. For the next decade, as the Childs moved around Europe and finally to Cambridge, Massachusetts, the three researched and repeatedly tested recipes. Child translated the French into English, making the recipes detailed, interesting, and practical. Her first break came in 1962 at WGBH, a public TV station in Boston, when she was asked to do an on-air review of her latest cookbook. Her on-the-air talent was immediately recognizable, and by 1963 she started her own show, The French Chefs, the first of many Emmy-winning television shows for her. See how to be the big boss of the big cheese souffle. Today,
1: on The French Chef,
0: French Chef is made possible by a grant from the Polaroid Corporation. Welcome to the French Chef. I'm Julia Child. This is a cheese souffle, and it's ready for the oven. Her great success on air may have been tied to her refreshingly pragmatic approach to the genre. I think you have to decide who your audience is. If you don't pick your audience, you're lost because you're really not talking to anybody. My audience is people who like to cook and who want to really learn how to do it. In 1996, Julia Child was ranked number 46 on TV Guide's 50 Greatest TV Stars of All Time. Child's second book, The French Chef Cookbook, was a collection of the recipes she had demonstrated on the show. It was soon followed in 1971 by Mastering the Art of French Cooking, Volume 2, again in collaboration with Simone Beck, but not with Louisette Bertol, with whom the professional relationship had ended. Child's fourth book, From Julia Child's Kitchen, was illustrated with her husband's photographs and documented the color series of the French chef, as well as providing an extensive library of kitchen notes compiled by Child during the course of the show. In case you're wondering just how popular her show was, her kitchen is on display at the Smithsonian Museum of American History. In the 1970s and 80s, she was the star of numerous television programs, including Julia Child and Company, Julia Child and Moore Company, and Dinner at Julia's. For the 1979 book Julia Child and Moore Company, she won a National Book Award in category Current Interest. In 1981, she founded the American Institute of Wine and Food with vintners Robert Mondavi and Richard Graff, and others, to advance the understanding, appreciation, and quality of wine and food, a pursuit she had already begun with her books and television appearances. In 1989, she published what she considered her magnum opus, a book and instructional video series collectively entitled The Way to Cook by Julia Child. Child starred in four more series in the 1990s that featured guest chefs cooking with master chefs, in Julia's kitchen with master chefs, baking with Julia, and Julia Child and Jacques Pepin cooking at home. She collaborated with Jacques Pepin many times for television programs and cookbooks. All of Child's books during this time stemmed from the television series of the same names. Child's use of ingredients like butter and cream has been questioned by food critics and modern-day nutritionists. She addressed these criticisms throughout her career, predicting that a fanatical fear of food would take over the country's dining habits and that focusing too much on nutrition takes the pleasure from enjoying food. In a 1990 interview, Child said, Everybody is overreacting. If fear of food continues, it will be the death of gastronomy in the United States. Fortunately, the French don't suffer from the same hysteria we do. We should enjoy food and have fun. It's one of the simplest and nicest pleasures in life. Hi, everyone. The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night. I've already shared with you the fact that I keep up with Father Brown and Poirot at BritBox. I also check out their new stuff, like the new series Archie, which tells the story of Archie Leach, Get 50% off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use my promo code 1001Stories at checkout. Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Just use promo code 1001Stories at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it. Julia Child's Kitchen, designed by her husband, was the setting for three of her television shows. Beginning with, In Julia's Kitchen with Master Chefs, the child's home kitchen in Cambridge was fully transformed into a functional set with TV-quality lighting, three cameras positioned to catch all angles in the room, and a massive center island with a gas stovetop on one side and an electric stovetop on the other, but leaving the rest of the child's appliances alone. This kitchen backdrop hosted nearly all of Child's 1990 television series, which won Peabody and Emmy Awards, including the first Emmy Award for an educational program. Though she was not the first television cook, Child was the most widely seen. She attracted the broadest audience with her cheery enthusiasm, distinctively charming, warbly voice, and unpatronizing and unaffected manner. Julia and Paul first enjoyed French wines, keeping a small cellar in their home, as the wine list from their pantry shows, believing, like Europeans, that wine was a part of eating. They later came to appreciate American wines. Julia was a groundbreaker for TV in many ways, but is remembered for adding wine to all her meals. On The French Chef, Julia introduced Americans to a post-50s homemaker image of an American family cook by normalizing the very European habit of drinking wine with meals. Unaccustomed to seeing a public figure consume and enjoy wine while entertaining them in her cooking lessons, Americans inaccurately but fondly tagged her as the tipsy chef. The wine on the show was fake, actually a mixture of gravy master and water, but her message about wine with meals was real. Many more Americans in the 60s began to take that message seriously. Just as they ran out and demanded ducks, broccoli, and omelet pans from their shopkeepers when they saw these things on the show, they began to ask for wine to accompany their meals, in and out of the kitchen. There are lots of stories out there about Juliet Child. People really loved her and identified with her. This from etocracy.com on the occasion of Child's 100th birthday-to-be. Today would have been Julia Child's 100th birthday, and Eatocracy is celebrating her legacy. Fans sent in their favorite stories about the beloved TV chef and cookbook author. This one titled, You Taught My Dad How to Cook. Monica Bennett was 12 years old and heartbroken over her parents' recent divorce when she moved to Ohio to live with her dad. On his own for the first time, her father had to learn how to cook for his daughter. Night after night, Bennett found her father bent over Julia's mastering the art of French cooking, preparing a feast for just the two of them. (laughs) They enjoyed beef bourguignon countless evenings, but her favorite was child's crepes. 25 years later, she carries on the crepe-making tradition and other culinary adventures with her own family. Bennett, now a graphic designer and travel writer in Belleville, Washington, lost her father to cancer two years ago and inherited his collection of Julia Child cookbooks. She also has the standing mixer, meat grinder, and fancy bamboo chopping board he bought for her to encourage her pursuits. When I'm cooking from the food-splattered pages, I feel like he is there right beside me, teaching me how to cook again, she wrote on CNN, I report. Sometimes she can even hear his thick Czech accent calling out, That's right, darling. And then you flip the crepe. Thank you, Julia, she said. You taught my dad how to cook, who then taught me how to cook. And for that, I am forever grateful to you. Next one titled, When Julia Snorted. And this is a good one. In 1991, Paula Wern was editor of the now defunct magazine Catering Today when Julia Child gave the keynote address at that year's Catering Industry Awards luncheon. The audience lapped up every word of Child's ode to cooking with cream and butter, always in moderation, using real food and savoring the preparation. Then she moved on to her disdain for frozen meals and microwaves, and Wern started to turn green. Because Wern knew what was coming next, the magazine publisher began his presentation of the Catering Industry Awards. The top prize? A Denver caterer who sold low-fat, low-calorie meals which were frozen and could be heated in the microwave. We were giving this top award to this caterer who did the opposite of everything she had just lectured about, Wern said. The timing couldn't have been worse. Wern, then five months pregnant and already battling nausea, watched Child's jaw clench tighter and tighter and thought she might be sick in front of the famous chef. And then Mrs. Child snorted. I think she tried to sit and be polite and not laugh, but it overcame her. The noise she made was just so visceral. I don't think she could control it, Warren told CNN. I report, I loved Julia Child that moment. She was my hero from that day on. The next and last one, I tried to be Julia Child. I reporter Cynthia Falardo loved Julia Child so much she wanted to be her. So she was for Halloween 1985 and won the costume contest at a college fraternity party with her denim shirt and Aquanet shellacked hair. The costume was the closest she got to personifying child, she said, because I was a terrible cook. Fortunately for Falardeau, she met and married a man who loves to cook as much as she loves food. In her I report she wrote, Thank you, Julia, for inspiring me to dream of food and to find a man that exemplifies all you believed. Julia Child's cooking career has a place in American history, as many remember her as an enthusiastic and opinionated chef with her many television series and cookbooks. Her legacy still lives on to this day. The CIA adds, Her contributions and eagerness to serve her country are well remembered and appreciated by the OSS family. Julia died at the age of 91 in 2004, two days before her 92nd birthday. She was often quoted, and this is one of our favorites, Find something you're passionate about and keep tremendously interested in it.
1: I used to probably do it a lot better, but this is Julia Child saying bon appetit. <laughs> Hi, my name is Emeril Lagasse, chef, a restaurateur, cookbook author, and dear friend and mentor of Julia Child. This is a visit of Julia to New Orleans in 1983. Uh, this is in a, an uptown home backyard in New Orleans of the Grace family, where I cooked and showed Julia how to do a very New Orleans, Louisiana crawfish boil with all the accoutrements, how to peel the crawfish, how to drink beer with the crawfish, which was a, uh, a passion of Julia. She really liked delicious cold beer. Uh, and then the following day, uh, in the more kitchen setting, uh, we did a, a version of chicken etouffee and a version of shrimp etouffee. And it was one of those things that Julia really made a connection to at that point uh, to what Louisiana and what New Orleans cooking was all about. And from that moment, when she saw the passion as well that I had, uh, we immediately became great friends. I mean, the very first time that she came on Emerald Live, the thing that she wanted to cook was a a hamburger. There's nothing really French about a hamburger, but she wanted to show people the correct way of not only handling and seasoning the meat, but Shaping the meat and how the meat was cooked and how it was formed on the bun. What came first? What came second? You couldn't put the lettuce and the tomato on the top. It had to be under, et cetera, et cetera. In the beginning days, uh, when I really started the Food Network, the, you know, there was a lot of heavy criticism from colleagues and people in the industry. Why are you out of the kitchen and what are you doing to your, you know, your craft? And and basically, you know, Julia's attitude and advice was, you know, just continue to keep doing what you believe. And as long as you believe in it and you know that it's right, then just keep doing it better and better. And so, you know, that's always been my philosophy for a lot of years is just getting up every day and trying a little bit better than the day before.
0: If you have any special memories of Julia Child, please take a moment to share with our listeners on Facebook.com 1001heroes. It would be enjoyed. Check out the video we added at our Facebook site of Julia improvising with a blowtorch on Letterman. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. You can catch all our episodes at podcast sites like Apple's iTunes Podcast. And for Android, there are a bunch like PodBay and Stitcher. For those of you listening in at our website or at Facebook who don't know what a podcast is, it is really just a word for an audio or sometimes video show that is uploaded to the Internet through podcast host applications that people find and put on their smartphones, iPads, laptops, and other devices. The podcast app is convenient because you can pick and choose your shows and categories, from news to history, and the app will remind you that a new show is available on your list of picks. If you have an Android phone, search Download Podcast App Free and pick one. If you have an Apple device, go to the iStore, find their free podcast app, and download it. It will appear on your desktop. A helpful tip in your settings, limit the number of shows you like to hear and will be storing as they eat up memory. I have my favorite shows, and I have a limit. Our website with all our episodes is www.1001storiespodcast.com, and our Facebook is facebook.com slash 1001heroes. We really appreciate your feedback and comments there, as well as when you share our episodes with your friends. That's how we grow. 1001 Heroes is listened to throughout the U.S. and in over 150 countries. Thank you so much for being a part of our show. Until next time, this is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and this is our story.